from Sector 001 in the... And actually thought I should start it as saying we're at the Klingon Embassy on Earth, but... Um, <clears throat> from Sector 001 in the Alpha Quadrant, this is the Omega Directive, Episode 17, if my reckoning is correct, A Klingon Christmas Carol. Hi folks, Steve here. Um, I just wanted to say before we begin with this week's episode, well, I wanted to make a few corrections from last week's episode, the uh, Tolkien interview. For one thing, I was wrong when I mentioned that Orson Welles had played Frodo in The Return of the Kings, animated uh, from Rankin Bass. That's, of course, a mistake. It was, in fact, Orson Bean re- um, taking over the role. Bean, who had, of course, portrayed Bilbo in The Hobbit not a couple years before. Second, I wanted to correct, uh, I made a mistake when I stated that Nicole Williamson, who done uh, an audiobook version of The Hobbit, had appeared in the Doctor Who episode, The Doctor's Daughter, as well as playing King Arthur in the film Excalibur. Not true. He was in Excalibur, but he was Merlin the Magician. It was Nigel Terry, the actor who played King Arthur in that film, and later General Cobb in Doctor Who. So, uh, my apologies on that. Nicole Williamson had a pretty long career, um, having played Sherlock Holmes in the film The 7% Solution, and his final film role was as Spawn's mentor in the film Spawn. And I also wanted to say, as far as corrections for last week's program, I believe I said that there weren't, wasn't anything of significance from the cast of the NPR productions of The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings. At deeper research, I found that one of the actors who portrayed various voices in the 1979 NPR adaptation of Lord of the Rings was the actor John Vickery, who Star Trek fans should know from playing the Betazoid Andres Hagen in the uh, Next Generation episode Night Terrors as well as the recurring role of Rusat in Deep Space Nine, and the Klingon Orak in the Enterprise episode Judgment. So, just to clear that before we go further. Otherwise, I do want to say Happy Holidays and Happy Hanukkah, because I'm recording this on December the 2nd, 2018, and Hanukkah begins tonight. So, all of my Jewish listeners... I'm thinking of you, and I hope you have a great holiday season. And, of course, uh, Krampus Nacht will take place <clears throat> internationally on the 5th. And as a programming note, next week, I'm going to, Kevin and I are going to interview uh, John Tenuto about the history of Star Trek toys, as well as Kevin Dilmore 
about the history of Star Trek holiday ornaments. We'll also try to get John Tenuto to come back in a couple weeks after that to discuss the history of Star Wars toys for our Star Wars spotlight on the Star Wars holiday special and the Star Wars Christmas album. Happy Wookiee Life Day, everyone. Anyway, on with the show. Here's this week's interview with Don Krasnowski, the director of the St. Paul, Minnesota production of A Klingon Christmas Carol, as well as Bill Hedrick, who helped do the translation for that show. But first, you'll hear a brief discussion that Kevin and I had recorded previously about the uh, Star Trek online uh, holiday of Q's Winter Wonderland, as well as some other nerdish-type holidays that occur throughout the year and that we will be spotlighting next year. Um, so, uh, take it away and enjoy. Today we will be spotlighting the Klingon Christmas, the Feast of the Long Night. And coming up, we're going to have an interview uh, today with a woman named Don Krasnowski, who is the director of the St. Paul, Minnesota stage production of this year's uh, Klingon Christmas Carol, and it's also being done in Chicago this year. I need to mention my internet was out for about a week. Right. So I didn't get a chance to contact anyone from Chicago connected with that show to invite them on until the last minute. And I am. we're also going to be joined by a fellow named Bill Hedrick, who is a Klingon, he's a makeup artist, Mike, Klingon forehead and stuff I got from him, and he was involved in the translation of the Klingon Christmas Carol, so they'll be joining us here in a bit, and we'll also be talking about the book A Very Klingon Christmas. But so, Kevin, what about you? Uh, is Christmas something that's big in you and your family and your household? Uh, it is. Mom and Dad and I celebrate it. In addition, I have sort of adopted a more secular holiday from uh, Star Trek Online called Q's Winter Wonderland. And I that actually goes from December the 1st to December of each year till sometime mid to late January. Last year, they pushed it back kind of late. I forget why right now, but they did. Um, this year, it's going to be started on the December the 4th. And I can't remember how long it goes for. I think it goes for about three to four weeks. Maybe it's a bit longer than that. Let me check my calendar right quick. Hold on. So I celebrate that. I usually do that on my own because, you know, my family and I, uh, well, my family doesn't even, you know, play the game with me. So, um, yeah, I look forward to playing that. I know we had mentioned that there was a uh, Halloween event in the Star Trek Online game. But yes. I was I was sick the evening of the Halloween and didn't get on to play. I picked yeah. up I picked up the uh, quest, and then went back in the next day to play, and they were gone. Right. Sadly, because unlike other games such as WoW, um, Star Trek Online doesn't keep you know holidays like that around for long. I mean, in WoW, it's a whole month worth of Halloween adventures. Yeah. Um, but that's beside the point. Yeah, Halloween does get the shaft in Star Trek Online, which is kind of weird, because every other MMO has, you know, makes a big deal out of it, but not Star Trek. Nope, they give you at most 48 hours cumulative, 
which is uh, from 8 p.m. the day before till 8 a.m. the day after the holiday for you to complete it uh, for Halloween. Um, you know, the winter time obviously gets more because there's more content and more stuff to do. And all the other holidays pretty much get swept under the rug. Valentine's Day is not a huge thing because that's when the Star Trek anniversary hits, or Star Trek online anniversary, I should say. Um, and that goes for an entire month. And that happens uh, usually in the f first or second week of uh, February. And it'll go up to the first or second week of March. And then those are really all the major holidays. Oh, there is a Midsummer Festival in Star Trek Online uh, known as the Lolu Knot Festival. And that usually starts in June or July of each year. And it's about as long as Q's Winter Wonderland. And they have summer-themed events on Ryza, which you can go and visit. So uh, that's a little bit fun. That being said, I think Q's Winter Wonderland is the biggest and best event that they offer in Star Trek Online. Yeah, and I, like I said, I do look forward to playing that. And we are going to be doing an episode coming up here, I think, at the end of the year, where we really do spotlight all kinds of nerdish-type um, holidays and events that happen throughout the year. Right now, uh, let me see, I'll just go ahead and mention that again, um, to me, late November is all, well, November is all about uh, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And uh, in my mind, for various reasons, December is tied in with Star Wars. And we will be spotlighting Star Wars at uh, Christmas time. We're going to do a show on that around December 22nd. In between now and then, as a programming note, we're going to do a, a couple of interviews. Uh, we're going to record on December the 8th and then post uh, one of them on the 8th and the other on the 15th. And at that point, we will be chatting with uh, John Tenuto about the history of Star Trek toys for Christmas time. And mm -hmm. then in the second interview, we'll be with Kevin Dilmore, who is an uh, author of Star Trek books and short stories and co-writer along with uh, Dayton Ward, and he also is in charge of Star Trek Christmas ornaments at Hallmark. So we'll talk about the history of Star Trek Christmas ornaments with him. But as far as holidays and such go, uh, like I say, December 21 is the winter solstice, and that's uh, on the, for those who are nerds, the Star Trek calendar, the Feast of the Long Night, Chris, Klingon Christmas. Where they, I think that's when they celebrate the birth of Kalos the Unforgettable. And December 25th is still when I play Star uh, Wookiee Life Day, because again, around the rest of the world they don't have Thanksgiving, and that's that's when it was celebrated in the game. Otherwise, yeah. in did you find what you were looking for there, Kevin? Uh, unfortunately, my uh. Event got erased from my uh, Google account, so um, last year's event never got saved. Well, it it probably was. It just got erased on my uh, calendar, unfortunately. So I don't know how long the Winter Wonderland will go on for this year. Unfortunately, my memory is not what it should be, so uh, I only get it for about, you know, 
right, like I said, it's it's it, it'll last a while. It'll seem like it'll last forever, and then it stops. But it it is a lot of fun. It wasn't fun our first year because we didn't have a lot to do, but it was fun last year because there was a lot of stuff to do. And in some instances, there was too much going on for you to accurately and evenly divide your time up. But um, I'll come over at some point and I'll teach you how to do that. And we'll do it together, not at the same time on the same platform, but, you know, I'll do it on my uh, PS4 while you do it on your PC and I'll help you through stuff and try to troubleshoot things. Right. I look forward to that. Um, also on a programming note, I want to mention that again, um, on December 22nd, we're going to record about Star Wars, but then in the second half of that block, which will be broadcast on December 29th or, or mm-hmm. posted around the 29th, or we will be talking in depth about Nerdish holidays and events around the world, around the calendar. Right. And what we plan to do here on the show in 2019, and I think we can get Doug Drexler back on that program for that because he is in charge of the official Star Trek Ships of the Lion calendar. So it would be fun to have him with, with us for that. And otherwise, I'll just mention in, in brief, in December, oh, excuse me, in February... There's a holiday called Darwin Day, celebrating Charles Darwin, who came mm-hmm. up with the theory of, of evolution. And I think mm-hmm. we should celebrate or commemorate that. And in March, there is a the International Day of the Woman. We'll certainly acknowledge that. I don't know what we can do except to spotlight some of the women who have been in Star Trek uh, on that day. And on... And the Klingon calendar, and here's one of the things about the Klingon calendar and fandom. Uh, I'm a member of the Klingon uh, Assault Group, which is an international Klingon fan club. And our motto is, if it looks Klingon, it is Klingon. And yeah. in order to understand Klingon culture and lore, we pull from several different sources. Not only the TV shows and films, but also various novels that have come out over the years. Uh, stuff that was presented in fanzines way back in the day. Um, Mark Okran's uh, audio books uh, on the subject and his uh, paperback guides. Um, right. And about 40 years ago, someone as part of a fanzine, whatever publication, put out something called the Klingon Appointment Calendar. And they put a Klingon holiday in there, which uh, Klingon should embrace and celebrate. But... One of the holidays that I think came from Mark Okrand is Empire Union Day, which is a Klingon holiday celebrating, well, the day the Klingon Empire came to be. And also in March, March 23rd, celebrates the anniversary of the first airing of the episode Errand of Mercy, in which mm-hmm. the Klingons were introduced to the, the world. So right. that's when we celebrate on Empire Union Day, and that's when we're going to, um, and we will have an episode uh, spotlighting that, and I'll try to get a Klingon expert on. And in uh, April, of course, there is First Contact Day, when right. humans first met the, the, the Vulcans. Uh, we, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt here, but uh, I just remembered we actually celebrate that holiday on Star Trek Online as well. 
last year they gave us a new impulse engine that was based off uh it's called the Bozeman impulse engine and it's a it's a nice little impulse engine usually you can reclaim it with all your characters and it's one less thing for you to have to craft or worry about getting when it comes to your impulse drive when you're playing the game that being said they do actually put in a, quite a bit of work for first contact day and i think it lasts about a month as well so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'll need to show you how that works as well. And it's 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 a bit of fun. Um, it's not as much fun as, you know, Keys Winter Wonderland would be, but it's better than a sharp stick in the eye, as, it, as the saying goes. You, you get, go around scavenging components in order to create a model rocket of the Phoenix. And um, not only do you get the impulse drive, but for the character that completes the event, or the characters that complete the event, you also get your own personal model rocket, which you can launch as a vanity item within social maps and stuff, or anywhere for that matter, obviously when you're not in combat. And they also gave us the hollow emitter to turn any shuttlecraft into the Phoenix itself. So uh, First Contact Day does get a thing in Star Trek Online. And, you know, it's it's nice. It's it's worth the effort. Okay, cool. I look forward to that, too, then. Um, let's see. Also in April, because that's when they originally aired the episode Firstborn uh, Next Generation, in which we were given the Klingon holiday of the Cote Pivot Festival and uh, celebrating uh, Kalos's, uh triumph over the tyrant Molor. I think we should spotlight that. Also, okay. in April is Yuri's Night, celebrating the first manned spacecraft uh, from Yuri Gagarin into space. And there's also, in the past, been Batman Day in April, as well as Paranormal Day. And I know a paranormal lady that we can have on. I don't know about Batman Day. I think I can get a Batman expert to chat with us about that if you want. Yeah. In... Going into May, May the 4th is Star Wars Day, and I think I'll be able to get a Star Wars expert on for that. May the 11th, I think, is um, Towel, no, May the 25th is Towel Day, celebrating the, the works of the late writer um, Douglas Adams, who created The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, among other things. Also, the third weekend in May is Miracle Monday, which is a holiday from DC Comics celebrating Superman. And I think we can get the guy who created the holiday on to discuss it with us for that. And in June um, is Captain Picard Day from the episode um, The Pegasus, The Next Generation. And also World Humanist Day. And of course, Gene Roddenberry was a humanist. And going into july at some point in april or march or excuse me february or march there should be uh bring your action figure to work day <laughs> which uh, is an annual event uh but i'm not sure the exact date it's uh, changes but we'll be more than happy to uh spotlight that when it comes around do you have any fun action figures you would want to take to work with you I'd probably end up taking uh, one of my Disney Infinity uh, figurines. It's not very, they're not very actionable unless you have the game to go with them. But 
I would probably take Maleficent uh, to work, um, or I might take one of my Amiibo characters. Uh, I do also have some Lego Dimensions figurines, and that's that's really all I currently have access to within my room right now. Most of my other figures are out in storage, just because I don't have the physical space for them more than anything. I used to I used to have a uh, figure of Glory from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and somehow they've all managed to disappear. So now I have none of those, and for what it's worth, the figures haven't really retained any value collectors-wise. So um, they were popular at one point, and now they're not, and they they seem to have lost popularity, except within the most, you know, uh, hardcore social circles. But I, I go on to uh, Amazon or eBay on occasion, I should say and check to see what they're selling for and uh they they're they're not that expensive um they're about thirty dollars twenty dollars which is about what they were selling for when they first came out twenty to thirty dollars depending on which one you get right well um this last year um because uh action figure day came right after the release of the film i brought my black panther action figure with me Mm-hmm. And this next year, I'm going to bring my action figure of Kor, the uh, Dahar Master from Star Trek. Nice. Um, but uh, getting back to the calendar, in the beginning of August, we have International Cat Day. And I think mm-hmm. we could do an episode spotlighting the Cations, the cat people from Star Trek. That would be nice. And their uh, online counter- Star Trek online counterparts, the Farassans. Yeah. I've got a bit of lore about that. Star Trek Online has kind of made up their own lore to that end. Um, and that would be something interesting to discuss. So for for those who haven't heard previous podcasts, Star Trek Online is considered soft canon. And so the Farasin and Cation backgrounds would be something interesting to explore. But uh, we'll keep moving forward. Yeah, and someday we will do an episode talking about canon and what is not canon, what is soft canon, and what is almost canon, and all that. Yeah. Um, but that is not today. I just want to briefly mention, um, in August, I think that's the uh, holiday that came from the Klingon appointment calendar from 40 years ago, the rededication to Kalos Day, the principles of Kalos. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure what that's about, but we can certainly spotlight it. We also have National Left-Handers Day and International Dog Day. I don't know how much we, mileage we can get out of International Dog Day on a Star Trek podcast, but we can try. I can come up with a couple of things. Um, I did want to point out there is a European holiday that's still being practiced. Um, it's... It's actually pagan in origin. It's called Litha, and um, it's actually August the 1st. I, th- If I understand correctly, uh, I, when I worked for an international company, it still might be observed in the UK to a certain degree, kind of like how we still uh, observe, you know, National or Indig- Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, or for those who are uneducated, the uh, Columbus Day. It's about as big as that over there, maybe a little bit 
I don't I don't really honestly know, but I worked for an international company and they you know, my coworkers for like I don't know why, but every August 1st, you know, business from the UK slows down dramatically and we get hardly any phone calls and I'm like, yeah, it's Litha. It's a festival of sorts in uh pagan mythology and stuff, but we won't talk about that too much in detail, but I just thought I'd give a shout out to that because I think if we get any European listeners, I think that might still be practiced, although they might call it a different thing now. Right. We'll look into that and see just how nerdish and origin it is and how much we could tie it into. Um, Star-, Star Trek, yeah. Um, I did want to mention the uh, we were discussing the Bajoran Renewal Festival. I think... I read somewhere or I heard in one of the episodes that the Bajoran Renewal Festival actually takes place in what would be our equivalent of February. Uh, the reason I know that is because I remember linking it that it takes place in the same month as Groundhog's Day. It is still somewhat of a winter festival, but and you know it does have influences or inspiration from thanksgiving but it still takes place in february so i found that kind of interesting and we can explore that if you want to in a future podcast and and stuff like that there is a um again i i studied a lot of mythology during my college years there is a pagan festival uh that is similar in nature to the bajoran renewal scroll ceremony and bajoran renewal uh, holiday itself so we can discuss that another time if you want to okay just um give me the information about that yep. excuse me a lot of this i'm going on when the actual episode was aired on television right and since that was aired november 27th at around thanksgiving time I figure yeah it should be equivalent to that but if there's anything saying uh different then i i'd want to know about it right like at the beginning of uh, September is when they aired the episode of Voyager Day of Honor with the Klingon Holiday Day of Honor. So that's when I figure it should be celebrated. Um, of course, in the middle of September, September 29th, is the very fun Nerdish Holiday International Talk Like a Pirate Day. And there are pirates in Star Trek and other science fiction that we can get to. Um, and I will try to get as I guess I will try, no guarantee, the author who wrote the animated series episode, The Pirates of Orion. Yes. So hopefully he'll agree to do that. Also, at the beginning of October is Global James Bond Day, and there are some connections between Star Trek and James Bond, and I would like to have special guests on to talk about that. And... In October is Wonder Woman Day, as I know people who, I do know Wonder Woman experts that we can try to get on to the program for that. Also in October is Mad Hatter Day from uh, Alice in Wonderland. Um, oh, yeah. And we can maybe discuss that. And in, uh, September 22nd is, of course, Hobbit's Day, ce- celebrating the birthdays of Bilbo and Frodo Baggins. And in October 2019 will be Durin's Day, the Dwarvish holiday from, again, Lord of the Rings. And uh, The Hobbit and 
There's also the Klingon holiday of Kilop, which comes from one of Mark Okran's uh, source books, materials. And I figure celebrate that around Halloween, just because, why not? Um, but we can discuss it later. And that brings us back to November. So that's what we are going to... That's a brief look at the calendar of events. And like I say, next month we'll go more in-depth and uh, have a more, you know, discuss also conventions and Star Trek events that we would like to try to get a, get out to if we can find the means. And if not, I think maybe we can get some uh, on-the-spot reporters, people who I know will be at these things. And I'll say, okay, welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to Klingon, to the Omega Directive. I'm your host, Steve Atwell, and with me again is my co-host, Kevin, a.k.a. Dr. Guy K.S. Hi. And joining us this week, we're spot turning the spotlight on one of the non-traditional holidays that uh, should be uh, known of by all Star Trek fans, the Klingon Feast of the Long Night, a.k.a. the Klingon Christmas. And joining us to, to talk about this, we have... Um, Bill Hedrick, who is a makeup artist and a Klingon linguist who um, helped write the translation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol back into the original Klingon for the stage adaptation, as well, Kapla. Kapla, as, well as Don Krasnowski, who is the director of the Minneapolis production, or St. Paul uh, production of A Klingon Christmas Carol. Hi. Have I got all that correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, welcome everyone. Um, first, I want to say thanks for doing this. Um, Thank you for having us. I noticed that a few years ago there was a book published called A Very Klingon Christmas, but that has nothing to do with the Klingon Christmas Carol, correct? No, that doesn't have anything to do with it. That's... Uh... The Klingon Christmas Carol uh, is something that sprung from the fevered minds of a theater company called Comedia Beauregard back in 2006. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm leaving space here for Dawn to step oh, on my well, well, I appreciate that, Bill, but you're part of the origination, so you feel free and talk about it. <laughs> okay. Back in 2006, uh, Comedia Beauregard, which was a theater company, specialized in translated works, like they might translate uh, a play from French into English or actually uh, do a, a rendition of a painting as a play. They were trying to come up with a, uh, a fundraiser. And they said, hey, how about we do the Klingon, uh, do the Christmas Carol in Klingon? And everybody laughed and laughed and, wait, that's just so crazy it might work. <laughs> So they looked around and tried to find somebody to help them, and they ran into uh, my ship, the IKV Raykel. Part of the... By, yes, part of the Klingon assault group. And uh, its captain, uh, Laura Thurston, who is... Awesome. Oh, yes, yes. She is one of the finest speakers of Klingon I personally know. And, mm -hmm. and uh, where is this ship located on uh, terrestrial coordinates? That's in Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul are uh, 
known as the Twin Cities. We are uh, separated by a river, which you might know of, uh, Mississippi. <laughs> but, yes, much like Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. Though exactly. We're more of co-joined twins because uh, Kansas City, Kansas is uh, latched itself onto after Kansas City, Missouri was already an establishment and said, hey, we got one too. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. So anyway, their um, artistic directors, I think, that's what they were, uh, Chris Kidder, Mostrom, and oh my gosh. Sasha. I was thinking about... Sasha, thank you. Thank you yep. for that stage whisper. Yeah, no problem. No one knew it was happening. Oh, good. Sasha Warren was an amazing human being as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they sat down with the, the Ray Kell and picked our minds for ideas. And then they came back and uh, Laura and I and Sasha and Chris sat down in their house for months and hammered this out mm -hmm. uh, a rough translation which was an immediate success we had a what it's one production in uh, 2007 mm -hmm. and then um, uh, we did it the same text I think in 2008 after which um, we realized that what we had come up with was quick and dirty <laughs> and it, it needed to be polished. And uh, they brought in Chris Liscombe, who was an amazing uh, linguist, mm -hmm. went through and cleaned up what we did. And that's a text, and we've been doing it ever since in Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Long Beach, uh, Cincinnati, and we have a permanent home, hopefully, now in St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> At the Historic Mounds Theater in St. Paul. Yes. I, I sincerely, I myself am an actor and oh, cosplayer. Cool. Um, it's a hobby. It's, you know, I have a day job. But mm. um, one of my, the Christmas, <laughs> Christmas Carol. There are actors that don't have day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas Carol is one of my favorite stories, and Scrooge is one of my favorite characters. Oh, and I desperately wish that um, a local production would do it and cast me in the lead one of these days. Ooh, be careful what you wish for, my friend. That is a lot of work. <laughs> it's worth it, though. I would think so. So um, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area did the first production, mm -hmm. and then um, it moved. Uh, other people got wind of it, is that correct, and decided to do it themselves out there, or what? I think that's what it sounded like. Um, I know that uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area has done it for a few years in a row. We had a couple years off. Um, but I think like we had that break from like 2011 to 2013. Is that what it was, Bill? So, Bill, try that again. You're not quite coming <laughs> through. Uh, we did it at the Phoenix Theater in 2013. in it. From what I understand, um, the Chris Kidder, Malstrom, and Sasha Warren, they eventually did uh, move to Chicago um, 
And we were making it sound like they're a couple. They're not. But um, they moved to Chicago, and I think uh, Chris wanted to start it up in Chicago there. So that's how it kind of branched out to its first other location besides Minnesota. Okay. And like I said, yeah, um, I know that it has been done in California as well. I believe so. Yeah, I think that was last year. I think they had a well, – Bill, was it like a one-night performance out in California? I think we might have lost Bill. We might He's have still lost... in there, but – uh, he's having difficulties, it sounds like. Oh, dear. Right. Well, okay. So, um, Don, how did you yeah. get involved? And, um, I mean, uh, did you, were you a, were you, have you always been a Star Trek fan and interested in, uh, the whole Klingon nonsense? Or were you just oh. a theater geek and had the opportunity to do something different? Yes and yes. Uh, both of those are correct. Um, I mean, I, I, of course, fell in love with Next Generation when that was actually being put out on you know, TV. Like, I remember coming home from school and trying to do homework while watching it, but never doing homework. And then, of course, uh, Voyager, which just thrilled me beyond anything because we had a female captain, and that was exciting at the time, especially. But then um, I, I think I started acting like around 24 and then it was 2010 when uh, Chris asked me if I would take in the role as the Vulcan. And the Vulcan is the narrator of the show, for those of you who have never seen it. The Vulcan is one of the few people who speak English during the entire production. The rest of the production is done entirely in Klingon with either super or subtitles, depending on which theater you're at. So then I have, this will be my fifth year as the Vulcan and my first year actually directing the show. Well, is the Vulcan just a narrator, or is she also acting as a chorus? Like, Well, it depends, I think, on which production you see. Um, every single show I have done as the Vulcan, and the current one for 2018, it's specifically uh, narrator only. Uh, separated from the action, yet still apart more with the audience and explaining than anything else. Because the show does take place in the Vulcan Institute of Cultural. Uh, the ultra. Ooh, hold on a second. There's a cat on the script. Um, the Vulcan Institute of. Ah! He's a very excited cat. Ah, here it is. The Vulcan Institute of Cultural Anthropology is where the entire show is set. So it's. Klingons coming in to help the narrator describe Klingon culture. I see, and I just want to mention again that um, having listened to several other Star Trek productions that uh, podcasts that are out there, I'm mm -hmm. convinced that it is all most of the best uh, Star Trek uh, podcasts have pet sounds or pets involved in the background. <laughs> so, oh, thank goodness, because I have someone incredibly interested in being on your podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a specific orange cat right now. Is is positively thrilled to be on your show <laughs> you should go and listen to um the archives the interview i did with doug drexler and his yeah. parrot his parrot insisted on getting in on the action oh that was a good birdie <laughs> yeah we haven't had any pets in, we haven't had any animals in our cast yet but... <laughs> that that's a whole other ball of wax <laughs> yeah yes Okay. So we have had small children. We've had small children, and they're not so small anymore. No, they keep growing, darn them. Yes, you have to bonsai your children if you want to keep them small. Uh, uh, so, Bill, how did you actually get involved with the uh, the production, the, with the translation? Well, as I was, um, I worked, as I mentioned, uh, 
they uh, they tried to find somebody that would do the translation work for them. And um, it turns out that, uh, like I said, the Raquel was in was in their backyard and finally ran into us. And I am currently the uh, thought admiral keg, the high muckety, I guess. But at that point, I was not. And uh, we were just, um, we actually said yes when they said, would you help us? Fools that we were. And uh, and we sat down again with computers and the dictionaries. And, and it was interesting because we were trying to come up with words that the Klingon language didn't have at that point. Like there wasn't a word for uncle or aunt and a Scrooge is an uncle throughout the, uh, in the show. So it's like, okay, uh, what we're going to say, uh, father's brother, mother's brother and, or whatever. And we had to come up with some creative workarounds, which have since been, since been fixed. But uh, it's always, it, was, uh, it was an amazing uh, task because we were sitting down there with computers and books and trying to figure out exactly how to cast fr certain phrases or to uh, come up with idioms or, or translate idioms into uh, in a Klingon. Well, you know, for instance, Klingon insults, very different than human insults. If, uh, you know, an old classic human insult is, your mama wears army boots. Uh, Klingons would say, well, yeah, so. So we had to come up with uh, interesting creative uh, ways of, um, of translating or restoring, actually. We want to, that's, the, that's what we're doing, we're restoring, we're not translating. Restoring the, uh, the text back into Klingon. And so uh, it is the uh, local theater company. Do you hold auditions for cast members? Or uh, is it just pulled up from the ranks, or uh, how does that work? Well, what's neat about what the Historic Mounds Theater does, because they are our producer. They're the ones who say, yes, we're doing the show, and then they hire a director. And what I like about what they do is they hire a new director every year. And it's not because the last person sucked. It's just because they want a new vision every single year. So directors in the past have held auditions. Um, I did not. I um, was fortunate enough to be able to start casting about a year in advance, which in the Minneapolis Twin Cities community, you need to cast almost at least a year in advance for a show now. And I got to handpick my cast, and I am thrilled beyond anything with the size of the cast we have this year and also just the talent that was brought in. <laughs> also, also, it should be noted that because we've been doing it for so long, there's a pool of people who we know who have actually done it. Like, for instance, our Scooja, that's the Klingon Scrooge, uh, Lana Rosario has... Uh, how many productions has she been in, Dawn? She's oh, been gosh. She's been, she's been in a handful. But the fun part is, is we actually have seven new talent this year who've never done Klingon before. And it's neat to see what they bring into the show and to see the veterans and how the veterans respond to that. I always imagine that having a role in which you have to speak Klingon would be like having to speak Shakespeare or any other foreign language and that you have to at least get the rhythm down with it and hopefully you get the uh, uh, emphasis on the correct syllables and the correct words properly. That is a massive challenge, uh, especially for our actors, because they want to honor the pronunciation so well of the Klingon language. 
But after a while, I mean, as the director, I step in and I say, all right, but we are performing this for a human audience. So after a while, we have to tweak some of the pronunciations in order to convey what we're feeling or what we want the audience to experience. So it's it's been a weird difficulty trying to honor both, if that makes sense, like honor the um, original language, but also we want to make sure our audience is entertained at the same time. It's like, it's like singing. It's like singing. For instance, uh, you listen to uh, like the Beatles song, Ticket to Ride. They never say ticket to ride. They say ticket to ride. So, you know, there's all kinds of um, compromises or uh, shortcuts that you that you have to use when you're pronouncing and when you're performing. It's not like reading a dictionary. It actually is a living language, and you have to live with it. Okay, Kevin, let me bring you into this because you've been so patient so far. <laughs> I'm just listening and learning. So uh, I, I presume, hopefully, that you are yourself familiar with uh, the Christmas Carol. Yes, and I understand the way I, uh, from what I've gathered from this conversation, is that you got uh, your group has translated it into Klingonese, and has no, even no, re- no, 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 oh. not Klingonese. Oh. Klingon whole. There is a difference. <laughs> Klingonese huge difference. refers huge difference. to the uh, language that was created by John M. Ford, while Klingon whole <laughs> refers to the language that was developed by Mark Okrand. Sorry. Wow. Okay. Someone just got schooled. Hey, I've only watched that one episode, uh, The Trouble with Tribbles, and they said Klingonese. <clears throat> and that, so, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Klingonese means, is now thought of as old Klingon, while Klingon whole is high Klingon. I'm sorry. So, go right ahead. Anyway, um, much in the style that uh, someone for uh, Simon and Schuster Publications has uh, redone Hamlet into Klingon. And mm-hmm. for those who are not familiar with that, uh, I assume you two are, but for some of our listeners, it's where they've taken the story of Hamlet, put it into the Klingon language. Which one it is, I have no idea. And, you know, have correlated it culturally for the Klingon Empire. One of the key points is at some point the Romulans are in fact mentioned because I think it's not a war between states but a war between worlds. So I imagine the same place, the same thing is taking here, uh, the same thing is taking place here in the uh, Christmas Carol is there have been altercations made to possibly cultural references in the Klingon culture itself. So I, I'm familiar with the concept as to what is going on, mm-hmm. and it's it, it sounds like a lot of fun in some regards. Oh, gosh, is it fun. Yes, of course, yeah. we do. Um, the script does mention, you know, Romulans and humans, and mm-hmm. Ferengis, of course, is, is an insult to the Klingons. Of course, it makes sense. Yes. But um, the interesting part here is the... Um, the change of emphasis, because in the human version, Scrooge is a bad guy because he is miserly. Now, mm-hmm. in Klingon culture, that's okay, that's bad, but that's not really the, the main, the ho- most horrible thing. 
in the original Klingon version of the Klingon Christmas, oh, the Christmas Carol, he's a bad guy because he has no honor and he's a coward. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he did not pass his right of ascension. He he faked his way through it, and so he that's that's one of the things that he resolves to do at the end and become a real Klingon and train and fight. Yes. So I'm I'm sorry. I actually had a question at this point. Um, oh, okay. so. Is there some sort of winter holiday that the Klingons celebrate that you tie this to, or is this not taking place in their winter? This is the Feast of the Long Night. Okay. So um, it's, it's basically solstice, right, Bill? Right, right. Yeah, it that's makes, right. Yeah. Okay. Which is actually an idea that uh, came from uh, uh, our discussions, because this was a celebration, I believe, that the... Um, that the uh, CAG folks down in uh, Cincinnati and uh, uh, Louisville uh, celebrated every year for a while. And uh, we even incorporated that bit of fan canon into uh, into the play. So. Nice. That's cool. I didn't know that. I have, um, yeah. and uh, Kevin and I have discussed this on the program before, and we are going to go into it more in depth next month at the end of the year, but um, I have found a list of different um, nerdish uh, type of holidays around the world. And there are actually a number of Klingon holidays, including the Feast of the Long Night. And um, I, like I say, there was a book that was published. I believe it came out in 2003 called A Very Klingon Christmas. But that's dealing with um, the birthday of Kalos the Unforgettable, ah. which I guess is not tied to the Feast of the Long Night, uh, but maybe, I don't know, if somebody down the line could tie it to it or not. Kalos does make appearances in our play. In, <clears throat> well, in, like, the written word. Of course, in the classic uh, Dickens version, we have um, The Ghost of Christmas Past, Present, and Future. Um, mm-hmm. What are the equivalents in the Klingon version? Well, we used, uh, you know, that was a big question uh, in the original writing. And what we came up with was uh, the ghost of Kalos past, Kalos present, and Kalos future. So uh, that's what I was talking uh, about. Klingon, Bill? Pardon Bill, me? Say those in Klingon? Because it's, it's been Kalos Ka, right? That's right. past. And let's see here. Where's present? Ah, I'm looking for present. Here we go. And it's what? Dachjej Kalashka is present. Right. And here we go. And Peak Kalashka is future. You speak Klingon well for a Vulcan woman. Well, thank you. I'm learning, okay? I'm learning. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I did want to uh, talk about some of the phrases that are in there because, like I say, I am a fan of A Christmas Carol. My yeah. favorite adaptation uh, was the Alistair Sim version from the early 50s. I love the line where Marley's ghost is visiting him and he says something like, um, I don't believe in you. You're just a, 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 a bad meal I had down the road, a bit of undigested beef, a bit of bad potato or yeah. something like that. Um, how, do, how does that come out in Klingon? Oh, sadly, we don't get to that. Um, we, we do have the moments, though, of 
Uh, I'm, I'm got the script open right now. Just like, you know, he says, I was Marley, your business partner, and the humbug, which, of course, um, humbug translates to baka in Klingon. And we don't have that moment. But no, that's been, too bad. I know, I know. Yeah, but it does go into the whole concept of like, what, you know, you know, hey, I know you're not Marley because you never fought. And Marley's like, yeah, does this feel blah, blah, blah. And then they have to fight each other for a while. And we, that's one thing that's uh, going to be new and improved in our 2018 production is that the show consists of about three fight scenes. We have expanded it out to 11 in our show. Because Klingons should always be fighting. So there's a great fight scene between Skuja and Marley in our show. Well, I am disappointed because, like I said, uh, uh, Dickens was, was a great wordsmith and he had like yeah. puns in there starting off with uh, Marley was dead as dead as a doornail. Though, personally, I would have gone with the coffin nail. I don't know why they said doornail, but there it was. He was dead. Ah! Well, and that's interesting because we have our own translation on that part, at least. Um, and that's in the Vulcan, that's in the opening statement. Let's see here. Let me find it. Yes. Uh, the Vulcan says Marley was dead to begin with. That was not in doubt. But his death howl had been sung by his lone mourner. So we get death howls in there. And Marley was as dead as a hip duck, which hip duck translates into red shirt. <laughs> so they did the best they could to honor it. Um, that that's really an early test to see how geeky our audience is. <laughs> if that gets a huge laugh, we know yeah, we we know we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I say, um, the extra line, um, you're just a bit of uh, a bad beef, undigested potato. There's more of gravy than of grave of you. Oh, and yeah. Like that wordplay right there. Um, so is there wordplay? Like I say, you have the uh. Reference to the red shirt. What else is in the script? Um, let's see here. What, just, what do you... just a quick example. Oh, yeah, right. I'm just trying to find it here. Um, well, you know, I don't know the original in the sense of that, but even the closing of the um, opening of the... When um, the narrator is describing Shkuja, you know, a cheat, a weasel, a coward, a deceitful liar, a deserter, and a moneylender, which turns into a massive insult at that point for Klingons... But the whole idea is he was soft and had never wielded steel nor faced fire, except in the preparation of his dinner. Ah. Which I, yeah, which takes a real different idea of when it comes to Klingon versus just humans. So uh, all the uh, original characters are here, correct? Cratchit and uh, Tiny Tim and uh, everyone yeah. uh, Nephew uh, Fred. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Fred's wife. Oh, here. Maybe this is something you would like to hear about. Um, during the scene where Scooja gets approached by the the two people who are collecting money for the, you know, orphans, you know, now they're collecting money for the children whose uh, fathers and mothers have died in battle and, you know, to train them to become warriors. Hmm. Yeah, it's really cute. Okay. Okay. You're looking at... Yeah, I'm... and... Um... That where uh, there's a there's something where uh, uh, the um, well wordplay comes up, you know, because they say, well, how much can we put you down for? And he says nothing, or pah in in Klingon, and 
they'd look at him and they say, oh, you want to be anonymous? And he says, no, I just want to be left alone and storms mm-hmm. off, which is almost, which is, I think, directly from the play, you know. Right. It's it. And then there's the lovely moment where uh, Scrooge ends up back in the bedroom after dealing with past and like going through all the past stuff. And the narrator says things like, oh, you know, Scrooge finds herself in her bedroom. And <laughs> that's when Scrooge responds with, did we? Because she's calling for the computer. It's like, after convincing herself she was not on a holodeck of any kind, did we? It's really adorable. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's something that um, the guy from Chicago came up with. The, the linguist from Chicago came up with, which um, I don't, I don't think we've incorporated, but Bell which translates into Klingon as pleasure or pleasurable. Ah. And um, oh. and uh, there's a and Scrooge has a, Scrooge has a line that says, pleasure is not essential. Uh, you know? yeah. Ah. And uh, he's <clears throat> my guy. Uh, the guy in Chicago was trying to emphasize you know, use that as a bit of foreshadowing or mm. regret, whatever. But uh, that's a really subtle point. But it, it is a bit of wordplay. You know, he's saying his, 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 the love of his life was not essential, which is... Well, even the word for uncle and aunt are wordplays, but that's, you know, that's based on translation. That's not necessarily an honorary to, to Dickens at that point. And, of course, um, the, the phrase uh, pleasure is not essential, that is uh, somewhere in canon sources. I, I know in uh, Trouble with Tribbles, <laughs> Corax tells uh, Kirk we don't equip our ships with non-essentials. And, of course, as he did it, the actor mimed uh, an hourglass figure. There is a lot of, uh, you know, we, we, there are lots of Klingon problems, and many of them actually did make it into the play. That was kind of a, a conscious decision, you know, for at least for the Klingon audience, they'll go, aha, I know that. And right. Go from there. Right. So. And another of my favorite lines is where um, uh, his nephew Fred is inviting him to dinner or and he wishes him a Merry Christmas. He says, bah, humbug. He says, mm-hmm. you celebrate your Christmas your way and I'll celebrate it in mine. Oh, but that's just the point, Uncle. You don't celebrate Christmas. Well, let me leave it alone then. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, is that in the uh, in the play? Not necessarily, um, because what Vred does is in uh, the Feast of the Long Night. It's also common to champion your household, and so when Vred approaches uh, Scrooge and Cratchit, he says, "You know, Uncle, Uncle. In our case, Auntie, Auntie. You know, come and represent our line." And Scooja responds with, oh, no, no, I've already done that. I've already done that. It's time for you to take over. It's time for the young people to do it. So that's how the story has been flipped to fit the Klingon culture. Yes, we've, we've linked up the, um, the year games with the Feast of the Long Night, that the year games happen you know, at, the, at the feast itself. They're part of the feast. So, and uh, there's, a, there's a really... Brad throws some serious shade at that point where he says, uh, you know, uh, I've heard of your deeds of glory, but they must be so long in the past that nobody can remember them. And uh, whereupon, uh, which brings an interesting interplay between Scrooge and Brad and Cratchit at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Which is a, a fun bit. So what are the year games for those who don't know? Okay. The year games actually go back to uh, John M. Ford's books. And what they were is they were uh, uh, basically like a yearly Olympics, which anybody could participate in. And they uh, and you brought glory to your house by uh, by winning events at the year games. And uh, I know there have been fantasy uh, incarnations of that as well, where mm-hmm. uh, camp out, it turned camp outs into year games and that sort of thing. So uh, it's basically a, an athletic competition. I'm trying to nail down all of the uh, Klingon uh, celebrations and holidays. And I need to get back. I Dayton Ward, I was reading through his guide recently to the uh, Klingon Empire, and he mentioned a festival that celebrated. And I'm like, what is this festival? When does it take place <laughs> on the Klingon calendar? I haven't heard back from him, but I'm, I'm going to try to get a hold of him again. Well, it's always interesting because the um, we always try to... Like, for instance, the Klingon language has 26 letters. Why does it have 26? Well, basically because English has 26 letters. And um, the Klingon uh, year is, is it uh, the same length as the human year? Well, apparently, because the festival, uh, you know, the uh, all the dates line up. But that's kind of a, uh, you're kind of ignoring uh, cosmic realities and such, you know, because the, uh, who know? Who knows how long a Klingon year is actually? But, right. So. And there are differing um, fanish sources to indicate how long one might be. I've mm-hmm. really, I have delved deep into looking into the Klingon calendars and observances and such. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, according to Google, a uh, Klingon year is five hundred and sixty-seven point three eight Earth days long. So it all wraps up nice. Yeah, so I wanted to ask about um, the production uh, you guys are doing and costuming and makeup. I guess, mm-hmm. as I understand, Bill, you did all the forehead pieces and such. Yes, I kind of it's kind of a cottage industry for me. The um, the Long Beach production I did the foreheads for as well, and which was last year. And I've been doing them for years. And one of the things I'm really proud of is that they're except for family lines like. Um, Old Scooja and Young Scooja have the same ridge pattern, but we have individual ridge patterns which are all different, which I'm very proud of. That's so neat. So, and we've actually made uh, made uh, accommodations because we have a couple of actresses who have uh, latex allergies. So uh, I came up with another with another way of making uh, ridges for them. There, it's not nearly as, you know. Typically, with a latex set of ridges, you can you'll use it for years, but uh, these won't last that long. But they'll look great for mm. for the whole production. Yeah, I appreciate the ones that I bought from you. <laughs> um, I yeah, I a couple years ago bought uh, online at the uh, Trade Winds Costuming a GOS uh, Klingon costume. And that side is run by a woman named Patty Wright, and she had done the costumes for the web series Star Trek The New Voyages Phase 2. Oh, neat. So I got, you know, screen accurate to that costume. And oh, cool. pulling it out, it's like, yeah, this looks great to be in front of a camera for a few minutes, you know, to make a fan film. 
But to try mm-hmm. to wear it all around all day at a Star Trek or a comic <laughs> book convention, it has no pockets and it's heavy and yeah. it's kind of a pain. But yeah. I, I persevered and uh, continued to wear it. Um, I, I found a, a Klingon bag, which I carry my cell phone and wallet around with me. And... Nice. Yeah, we know in the 24th century, nobody needs pockets. So. <laughs> Everything has Velcro on the back, and you just stick your communicator or your disruptor. No, <clears throat> no there there were holsters for the disruptors uh, that that were plainly <laughs> seen, but that's beside the point. So, what about the costuming? Who does the costumes for the show? The costuming is done by Jessica Johnson. She is one of the co-owners of the Mounds Theater, and she's also one of the producers. And her costuming challenges are many and great, and I sincerely respect the work that she's putting into this show. Not only did we do we have four actors in her production who are over 6'5", which makes the fights awesome, but the fighting really affects how the costumes are made. Because we need significant amount of like shoulder movement, arm movement, and yet they still need to look like uniforms, or they still need to look really cool. So she's had this incredible challenge to make that happen. And then, of course, their costumes. So there's also tons of quick changes, too. So how to make something look completely different and completely unique in less than, you know, four seconds. She's really amazing at what she's come up with. Yeah, I wish I wish I could have gotten a hold of someone from the Chicago production to be on this program as well. So talk about uh, con- compare and contrast the two different, you know, what you would see in one city and what you would see in the other. Um, I'm looking for a, uh, a new Klingon costume because the TOS looks great, but not with the forehead ridges so much. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a fan f- production uh, that I'm working on coming up that I need to, a new costume for. Nice. Great. And uh, yeah, the props, uh, who's making the props for the show? The props are mostly also being done by the Mounds Theater as well. And since this is what they're fourth show now i mean they've got a nice collection of props already however since i've expanded the cast for this year it just means that we need some more and you know they're uh trying to like uh respect like next generation klingon stuff they're also bringing in things that you know like uh there's the pile of gold that you know Scooja works with and they found these incredible pieces of like rectangular and square metal that they've just painted gold and it, it just it conveys that idea of the audience is going to see something not of this world quote unquote and they're doing an excellent job making sure that happens well do you have any like spectacular um staging techniques uh going on um i don't need to know about how you're pulling off but and uh mm-hmm. apart from fights Anything that really uh, is eye-catching on the stage at any point in there? Um, Well, my humble opinion as the director, yes. There is the large speech that Scrooge makes. You know, I... You know, I'm a changed man. You know that speech I'm talking about, right? Of course. Like, I don't... You know, we're the... After meeting uh, the the future ghosts, and he's like, wait, is this, you know, the future that's going to be, or is this the future that might be? And he's seeing his grave, and he has that big speech. You know where I'm at now? Yes, yes. Cool, cool. Well, in our production, I have decided because Scrooge is talking about um, seeing warriors traveling by him in our production, her, 
And she's like, oh, they must be going to Stovakor. And that's, you know, Klingon heaven, essentially. And but she's not allowed to travel there. So she realizes that she's going to Grit Thor, which is their version of hell. And what I have taken off of uh, Voyager was when Belana goes to Grit Thor to save her mom, that her version of hell was being back on the Voyager. So that hell could essentially look like anything based on the Klingon. So I decided our Scrooge's hell is drowning in the river of blood. And so we have created a visual impact that shows her in a river of blood and drowning in it. That's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering how you came to that conclusion, uh, if you don't mind me asking. Oh, well, no, no. I mean, please do. I came to that conclusion because Scrooge never, in our story, uh, never passed the rite of ascension. So. Right. Yes, because, I mean, she, she modified her pain sticks so that they wouldn't work when they went off. And uh, so people know or people think that she never passed her right of ascension. So she's never become an adult, so to speak. So I felt that her like living that lie her entire life. And she tells people she's passed it, but mm, she never did. So I feel like living that lie that she she. She just dies there in the river of blood while she wants to get out, but she can't. Wow. So, so is I this haven't like... seen this. I don't need to see it. No, this. I know you haven't seen it, Bill. I, I can't wait. No. For I, I look uh, opinion on it. It's, it's, if I may say so, it's, I think it's going to be beautiful. If I may say so. So she, wow. she feels I'm like she's. Okay. So she feels like she's drowning in the lie herself. Is that correct? Yes. And whether okay. it's literal or figurative. Oh, that's up to my audience to decide. Right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, see, I was thinking maybe she had, like, a, you know, a childhood fear of drowning, and mm -hmm. this only exacerbated it. But that's an interesting take on that concept yeah. right there. Well, and, I mean, and you're supposed to, you know, travel the barge to, mm -hmm. you know, get to Grithor. And so I just popped her right in the blood as it was. So she, she doesn't even make barge. it into Grethor itself. She's yeah. just stuck, you know, not even. Wow, that makes it even worse for her, I would imagine, and for other oh. Klingons as well. Oh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Wow, because I can just imagine some of the, the people on the barge are just mm -hmm. jeering at her as they, you know, <laughs> thrown into the river. <laughs> And they're mm -hmm. like, well, at least we're not as bad as her because yeah. she didn't even make it into Grethor proper. Yeah, she didn't even make it on the barge itself, so... Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. see, I was thinking she was on the barge, and then she gets knocked off into the river, and mm -hmm. then they just jeer at her as they, you know, float by, mm -hmm. um, floating by, but she doesn't even make it onto the barge. That's That makes it even more humiliating for her and mm -hmm. uh, disdainful for the other Klingons as well. Right. I always felt, too, that the um, this scene with Marley really mm. pointed out the depths of, of what the uh, despair and hopelessness that those in Grethor had, because in Marley is never allowed to fit, to win a fight. You know, he's doomed, because he is in Grethor, he's doomed to fight and lose for all eternity. And, uh, you know, you can't imagine stuff much more horrifying for a Klingon than the fact that you 
no, you can't win. You're not going to win. You're going to mm-hmm. lose forever. And mm-hmm. you know that. So. Well, this is re- pretty amazing. This is really making me wish that I could get up there so I could see the show. <laughs> and it's really, well, thank you. really making me wonder what they're doing in Chicago and how, uh, how they're, what they're doing differently. Right. And that's the fun part about the show. I mean, with any Christmas Carol in general is that you can see it, you know, seven times and you can literally see seven different shows, even though it's the same script. And it's all about the interpretation. Hey, Dawn, can you tell us, can you tell us when, uh, when the uh, performances are? (laughs) Are we already ready for that, gentlemen? Bill is. Bill is. (laughs) I can tell. The show opens on December 7th. Um, we have performances 7, 8, 10, 14, 15. There's more. You can go to the Mounds Theater website, or you can just uh, research uh, Klingon Christmas Carol Mounds. The Mounds Theater website is moundstheater.org. Then that's mounds, T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org, where you can see where showtimes are, performances, and the cost of tickets. Okay. I was going to ask, Yeah. what if, if I could get a theater company here in Kansas City to want to put it on a production. Mm-hmm. Would we just contact you guys to try to get a copy of the script or how would that go about? You would have to go with the production company that initially created the script. And let me see here. That would be through Christopher Kidder, Mostrom, and Theater Beauregard. Okay. Okay. Um, do you know, is the script uh, for sale uh, online anywhere or... Um, that's what I'm looking for you right now. Um, I know he's got an, I'm going through the contract at this moment. And so I'm just looking to see where his contact information is. I found his contact information for payment. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, he does not. Okay. He doesn't have contact information here in the contract as far as just saying hello. But I know you can find him on Facebook. Okay. Uh, if you go to if you go to Amazon, you can find uh, used copies of the uh, of the play. Of the script? Uh, uh yeah, I've seen really? one here. Used copy. For, I just just uh, quick googled it on uh, Amazon, and huh. it's not easy to find, no. but it's there. It's there. Does so, it look legit, Bill? Yes, ma'am. Huh. So, all right. so just a quick reminder to all listeners out there, my birthday is the 29th of November. Oh, that's good to know. Good to know. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, good to well, know. Uh, one more thing. Um, and I found yeah. through Amazon a, um, a MP3 album, Feast of the Long Night, a music inspired by a Klingon Christmas Carol by Joe Griffin. Joe Griffin is the person who is the authorized music person for the show. So I don't yep. know if that's the same one that we are required to use or if it's just one that he spun off and did himself. I'm just looking at the uh, at the uh, list of tracks and it looks like, yeah, it looks like all of these were uh, were the, the music that you're using. Interesting. There might be might be a uh, a track or two that you're not, but uh, Mm-hmm. They're all entitled such such that I would think they're stuff you're using. Oh, cool. Yeah, that is interesting to note that there is a soundtrack that you have to use and you're not just allowed to pull whatever you want to. That's correct. I just, uh, before we leave, I'll just go back to something earlier, if I may. Of um, 
the difference between Klingonese and Klingonho. <laughs> um, like, like I say, okay. uh, Klingonese was developed by uh, uh, John M. Ford and Klingonho was developed by Mark Okrand. And as an example of the differences, the term the Hand of Kalos in Klingonese mm-hmm. is Klingon Kas and in Klingon Hole is Klingon Kulp or Kalos Kulp. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that's John, the point. I knew John. John was a wonderful fella. He had a very, very great sense of humor himself, and that's actually carried on a lot through uh, Klingon fandom and and w- the production that we're doing too. There's there's actually a a couple nods to uh, uh, John's uh, work in it. For instance, in uh, when Kalis is a, a child in school. She's reading the final reflection, mm-hmm. the story of Captain Kren, which is John's work, which is John's master master Klingon work. Yeah, very cool. And I've read it several times. Um, <laughs> okay, Kevin, do you have anything else to add or uh, questions? No, not at this time. I I asked, uh, I think a few uh, during this interview, and I got them answered. So thank you so much for that. Yay. Okay. Um, uh, what else do I have um, personally? Um, oh, after this uh, production is done, what else is the theat is the mounds going to be doing in the future beyond just going on? <clears throat> um, the mounds is doing. Oh gosh, let me look it up. It's the Fearless Five production, which is Fearless Comedy Production is going to be doing a show, I believe, in February or January, and it's about like noir concept. It's five different authors, five different directors. And they do a series of short plays together. Okay, I'm sorry. I was getting the the actual theater confused with the theatrical company. I was getting the theater uh, itself confused with the theatrical company, I think. Uh Ah, right. Uh, What's the name of the company again? Well, actually, this is being produced by the Mounds Theater. Uh, Klingon Christmas Carol is their own house production. So we are one and the same, if that makes sense. Okay, but – okay, so the group that did the original translation – that was a different uh, company. Correct. That was Comedia Beauregard, and they picked up them. They moved to Chicago. Okay. I was going to get fused on that point. Oh, no worries. Yes, and now, I mean, it's it's a show that can be um, licensed, is is what the Mounds Theater did from Comedia Beauregard. Okay, so uh, are you going to be involved in that uh, five comedy? Uh... Personally, no. Uh, Klingon is totally whipping my, what's the Klingon word for butt, Bill? Shuffle. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm I'm taking a break after this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, Bill, what future plans do you have coming up? Oh, well, I have um, my my next thing. Well, after Klingon Christmas Carol, which I'm going to be involved with, even though I haven't been able to be involved with very much. uh, We have our, our big convention in the spring which is going to be celebrating uh, CAG, the Klingon Assault Group's uh, 30th anniversary oh, as a club. That's amazing. Okay. And the, the Raykel's 25th anniversary. That's going to be, uh, well, the CAG, present, the CAG uh, celebration is going to be all next year. And we're going to be celebrating here at MarsCon on March 1st, uh, 2019. Okay, you need to send me all that information in a private um, email. Oh, so. sure. You'll go to that, but not cling on Christmas card. I'm just teasing. Yeah. Six, six months down the road, I have more of a chance of uh, saving a yeah. point. 
I understand. That's the problem. And one last request before I let you go. Um, of the thought, Admiral. Oh, can I, okay. Can, can I get a promotion? <laughs> I say yes. I'm sorry. I, 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 Lieutenant, second lieutenant, uh, and I would like to be a bit higher up in the game. But that's... I think uh, uh, there is. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I agree. You deserve it. <laughs> well, you know you know how you get to Carnegie Hall. You have practice. I do, I do. You have practice. You pay yeah. lots of money. That's how you get to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, okay. Well, uh, I guess we're about at the end of our rope here, ladies and gentlemen, as it were. Uh, again, uh, the Mounds Theater in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. That's correct. Right. Land of a dozen lakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least a dozen. At least. Yeah. They're uh, frozen. <laughs> <laughs> and the Klingon uh, Christmas Carol is running from December 7th until when? To the 29th. And again, that website is moundstheater.org, spelled theater, T-R-E, dot org. And, uh, Bill, you sell uh, uh, through e- uh, eBay um, headpieces? Uh, and I, I, I sell through Etsy. Etsy, uh, uh, Yeah. And um, if you would go to Etsy and you would type in Cobes cling thing, you'll find me. Spell Cobes. Uh, Q O B. That's one of the names uh, of kids, Bill, in Klingon Christmas Carol. Why did you pick that? <laughs> Actually, that Cobe and K-Pot are a nod to uh, Laura and I. Oh, K-pop. adorable! I didn't K-pop. know that. You didn't? Oh, no. okay. That's cute. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you uh, if you uh, type in mine, if you go to uh, Etsy and just type in Bill Hedrick as one word, you'll find my stuff too. That's probably the simplest way to find it. Otherwise, I can give you the link, which is uh, www.etsy. That's E-T-S-Y. dot com slash shop slash Bill Hedrick, and I'm making the slash with my hand. I don't know why I'm doing that with my hands, but whatever. And I will, yep. post, I will post all of this at uh, the Facebook page for the Omega Directive. Um, okay. So, again, this is the Omega Directive. I am your host, Steve Atwell, along with my co-host, Kevin, a.k.a. Dr. Guy K, uh, K.S. Bye. And <laughs> you, don't have, you can be a bit more. Um, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I want to say thank you to okay. my guest, uh, Don Krasnowski. The oh, thank you so much. Director of St. Paul production of the Klingon Christmas Carol, as well as Bill Hedrick, who's a Klingon linguist yeah. and guru. Mm-hmm. Thought Admiral of the CAG. <clears throat> and of course, Kevin. <clears throat> and I also, hey. I also need to give thanks to Adam Mullen, who put together the theme song for this podcast and helped me figure out how to put a podcast together. Um, the show is the show is available on podcast.com as well as iTunes. And if you like what you heard, please go uh, leave a positive review. And um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, the uh, Omega Directive is available on Facebook, and I'm available on Twitter as at uh, atwell underscore Steve. Kevin, uh, go ahead and plug your websites and all. Uh, 
Well, anything gaming-wise is uh, at D-R-G-Y-K-S. That is my Twitter handle as well, and it's primarily geared towards uh, video games. So that's where you can find me. I also do everything else uh, that isn't video game related on Citizen of GLFRY on Twitter, uh, including plugging my uh, written works once I start publishing more of those. So far, I've only been accepted for one publication. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I do host a stream every two weeks teaching people how to play Star Trek Online for free. Uh, Be sure into that on twitch.tv uh, with the same gamer tag obviously so people can find me easier uh, the stream is a uh, teaching people how to get free stuff in the game and ideally nothing will be paid for except for that which automatically is bound to my account via lifetime membership which I cannot undo mm-hmm. but other than that I'm teaching people how to play the game 100% free and uh, stuff like that there may even be a piece where we explore some of the paid content a little bit more in detail if viewers decide they want to watch it or ask questions or stuff like that. And I will be tuning in for that because I still need to learn more about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It is 8 p.m. Central Time here in the United States is when I try to host it. Sometimes I'm a few minutes late due to, you know, real-world circumstances and stuff. But I always announce it via my Twitter and via the Twitch channel. channel itself they do have uh, an announcement section for your uh, favorite streamers or the streamers you follow and twitch has more than just video games they've got tv shows they've got movies their primary focus however is still with video games and video game related tournaments Uh, but if there's a game that you don't know anything about and you're not sure if you want to buy it or have one of the you know somebody you know buy it then they can go in log into twitch look for the title of the game and watch somebody play it uh, most games are currently being played. Games that aren't really being played too much are Nintendo games for some, you know, copyright reasons, and uh, uh, older games that aren't cool. as popular as they used to be. So anyway, I'm done yammering on about that. <laughs> okay, and even though and no one from Chicago is here at the moment, I'm going to go ahead and give a plug for the Edge of Orion production of Klingon Christmas Carol at the Edge Theater, November 27 through 16. In Chicago, um, they're available online. Just punch in Klingon Christmas Carol Chicago 2018, and you'll find uh, all the information you need about getting tickets and to go to that show. If you're closer to Chicago than St. Paul, and uh, I'm not sure. I I have only been to these uh, wonderful cities of St. Paul and Chicago during the summer, um, mm-hmm. so I don't know what it's like trying to travel around. Uh, you know, the upper uh, northern reaches of the Great Lakes area in the wintertime. You do so carefully. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, if there's any chance that you can send me some uh, sound bites from the show that I can incorporate into this episode in editing, I'd appreciate it. But if not, I understand. Yeah, uh, we can't actually. Producer won't allow us. Not producer, but contract won't allow us to. Okay, that's fine. Thanks for asking. We'd love to. Otherwise, this is the Omega Directive. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. And please, don't take any wooden quatloos. (laughs) Bye-bye. Kapla! Kapla! I am Kroroth, son of Kenro. I am a Klingon warrior. And I am here to read to you a very Klingon Christmas by Paul Ruditus. 
Illustrations by Patrick Fallacy. Tis only on Christmas we Klingons feel mirth, the day of the warrior Kalas's birth. The most fearless of fighters we'll never forget, for his equal among us has never been met. This story is known by us all near and far of the leader who swore to return on a star. But the one day that Klingons all hold the most dear has been stolen by humans, just like our Shakespeare. They took our tradition, our hero, our rights, our bright decorations, our Christmas tree lights. They've changed up our story. They've got it all mangled in much the same way that our lights become tangled. It is true we praise Kalis in music and song, shouting out battle carols for all the night long. These songs might not start out sounding so fine, but they always get better with hot mullied blood wine. Then on Christmas Eve night we await Santa Claus, but our crinkles equipped with retractable claws. He, too, makes a list of who's not here nice, but he doesn't waste time with checking it twice. He sees who is sleeping and knows who's awake. His scanners and sensors aren't easy to shake. Though Santa is fearsome, he also brings joy. He brings something special for each girl and each boy. There's dollies and yo-yos, toy trains with conductors, and maybe a mechleth or a pair of disruptors. He carries them all in a warp twenty sleigh, led through the night by eight tiny birds of prey, and sometimes a ninth that will help clear the way. On Jatang, on Katang, on Machar, and Slavin! Neither barring the doors nor the chimney will do, Santa's transporter beams him right through. But houses are ready, they've all left him snacks, some gach and some rot for his hunger attacks. The kids sneak downstairs for their one chance to see Santa Claus putting all their gifts beneath the tree. Laying finger on combadge that sits on his chest, he beams back to the sleigh to bring toys to the rest. The kids then rush out to see what he's brought, and learn if their fears were truly for naught. For the honorless child will find something shocking. A troublesome tribble awaits in the stocking. But the brave Klingon tykes will have nothing to dread from the visions of evil that dance in their heads. When the children begin to play with their new toys, parents send them outside to escape from the noise. Just like Earth kids, they have fun in the snow, making snow guns and weaponized snowballs to throw. Before long, they'll head home, escaping the cold. Klingons hate winter so fast it gets old. In each noble house, families start the feast, with the head of the house carving up the roast beast, uh, targ. Klingon foods are so fresh that some of them crawl, the finest of Kronos, but that is not all. Jumja sticks, plomic soup, and sweet saurian brandy. Alien foods are devoured like candy. Today is a good day for pie. See the couple canoodle beneath mistletoe. If he survives courting, he'll become her new beau. 
The leaves twinkle green, and the berries shine redly. Only Klingons could love a plant that's so deadly. Santa watches it all from the stars up above, celebrating the day filled with honor and love. With a shout of kapla, his sleigh quickly departs, coordinates set on his private star charts, and he's heard to exclaim in the night still and calm, Happy Christmas to all, and to all, and my drum! <laughs>